The following is a presentation of Genesis. Genesis is a place where you are invited to begin, belong, and believe. To find out more, visit us on the web at genesisthejourney.com. Hey, welcome to Genesis. If you are here for the first time, a special welcome to you. I'm glad that uh, if you were invited by a friend that uh, you came. If uh, you found us through some other way, I'm glad you found us. So that uh, last uh, song that we were just singing, uh, Turn Your Eyes, it's a, such a simple chorus, but such a powerful song that uh, has so much to do with life that we're going to look somewhere uh, and we're going to give ourselves to someone or to something. And our hope within this community is that we are turning our eyes or turning our life uh, towards something that is greater than us, towards something that is meaningful and has significance and purpose and value. And uh, Jesus makes very clear that uh, he is the one who is worthy of putting our life on, putting our affection, looking, take, taking our gaze and putting on Jesus. So uh, at Genesis, our hope is that uh, wherever you are on the spectrum of uh, relationship with God, if you've been walking with him for a long time, that uh, this would be a community where uh, you will be encouraged uh, to keep your eyes fixed uh, on the author of life. And if you're here and you're in a place of uh, confusion or asking questions or seeking or you're just even discouraged, uh, my hope even just tonight would be that uh, you would find a place just to turn your eyes, refocus your eyes, fix your eyes uh, on the one who brings each of us life. So welcome to Genesis. I'm glad you're here. Um, one of the things I want to do before we uh, get started is many of you know uh, Genesis is in the midst of uh, talking about planting this community as a brand new church uh, in a, a location yet to be determined. Uh, and one of the things that uh, Genesis is looking at doing is partnering with a network of other churches that are church planting churches. Um, and that network is called Acts 29. And uh, about two, three weeks ago, I traveled with a group of uh, nine other men to uh, a church planting conference in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. And part of that for me was going through an assessment process to even be um, uh, included, invited, uh, uh, to be part of the network. So I'm actually going to hear back this week uh, if uh, we would be invited to be part of the network. Uh, but one of the guys that was part of my assessment team of asking me a lot of questions, I thought this was a joke at first, but I asked him, you know, where he's pastoring and, you know, where he's at in the church planting process. And uh, strangely enough, he's like, yeah, the name of my church is Exodus. And I was like, really? Are you totally messing with me? He's like, no, we're really called Exodus. I'm like, come on, seriously, there's no way you're called Exodus. And he's like, seriously, you're failing your assessment so far, so stop making fun of the name of my church. Um, but um, I bring up uh, the Exodus church because uh, next Sunday they have been uh, gathering um, a community of people uh, over the last uh, year. And this next coming Sunday, which is March 1st, is their official first launch. And so I, I told Brian and, uh, that uh, we as a community uh, tonight would just set aside just a minute or so just to pray for him. And this is the beauty of being part of a network of other churches, that if you're just an independent church all just by yourself, you can just think the whole world revolves around you, that there's nothing else happening in the world. And the beauty of this Acts 29 network is there's over 300 churches currently in the network, and there's over 300 churches that are in the process that Genesis is in uh, to be part of the network. And so we are going to be the same thing that we're going to do right now for praying for another church. 
we as a community are going to have an entire network of churches praying that as God would plant us in Boston, that uh, this community would be absolutely blessed. And so uh, I know you don't know the Exodus Church, and to tell you the truth, neither do I. I only know one guy, and uh, I know he's got a great heart for Jesus, and he's been going door to door in Charlotte, North Carolina, saying, hey, we're getting this brand new church started, and it's starting next week. So uh, if you would, would you just pray with me? And uh, pray that God would just do something extraordinary uh, next Sunday when this community gathers for the first time. The name of the church is Exodus, and I want to pray for them as a Genesis community, praying for our friends called Exodus. Uh, Father, I just give thanks that uh, you have a heart for the world, and I give thanks that you have raised up uh, men of God like Brian. I give thanks that I was able to meet and uh, sit with him for a time. And God, I thank you that you have burdened his heart uh, to plant a brand new church called Exodus uh, just outside of Charlotte. And Father, I pray, God, that you would... Just bless this church as it gets going, uh, their very first gathering uh, next Sunday evening. So, Father, would you do something just incredible? The invitations that have gone out, the conversations that have been had, the doors and homes that literally have just been knocked on of letting people know of this brand new church. God, I pray that uh, every invitation uh, would be responded with a yes. And I pray, God, that this uh, church called Exodus and uh, their pastor, Brian, God, would just be so overwhelmed and just so encouraged uh, with who you will draw uh, to this, uh, this gathering next week. So God, please use this church called Exodus uh, to be a blessing in the community that you have placed them and planted them in. And uh, God, I pray that uh, the name of Jesus and the gospel, the kingdom would grow uh, because of this church that's getting planted to uh, start next Sunday. We give you thanks. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. In praying for Exodus, uh, this is one of the things that uh, will be a norm for Genesis is we want to be praying for other churches that are trying to have a significant impact on the community and the cultures uh, that, uh, where they live. Uh, one of the things that we as a community are committed to is when God raises up men and women from within our own walls uh, and is sending them out, uh, we want to support that individual uh, to the best of our ability. And uh, one of the things that God has raised up from within our midst uh, is a great friend, uh, Suzanne Zickel. So I don't know where you are, Suzanne, but come on up. Uh, Suzanne shared her story, I think, a couple months ago, and uh, she felt called of God uh, to go with a, a great community, a great ministry uh, called Mercy Ships. And uh, she's going to be leaving in about a week and a half time, two weeks' time, um, uh, to go to Africa. And so over the past, what has it been, like two months? Something like that, month and a half? Five weeks, yeah. Five weeks, I always exaggerate. Uh, over the last five weeks, uh, she has been doing some training of getting herself ready and the team ready for uh, the trip that uh, she's spending the next year or so uh, in Africa. So I wanted you to, if you haven't met uh, Suzanne, to meet her now. And uh, we want to pray for Suzanne as she is going off. And as on some level, we're sending her off and supporting God's call in her life. So Suzanne, welcome. How are you? Good. All right. Um, what's uh, last five weeks? Uh, you've told us a lot about what you're going to be doing, but specifically over the last five weeks, what are just some things that you've been learning or God's been teaching you, preparing you for uh, this upcoming year? Um, well, the five weeks was run by people who down at the international office in Texas. Um, so the majority of my um, instructors are all people who have worked on the ship for years and years and years and, you know, joined Mercy Ships 20 years ago and never left type of thing. Um, but it was just really cool to draw from all of them and 
they started off, it just, I keep picturing it as building blocks um, from learning about the character of God and the things that are so inherent about God. And then, you know, adding on spiritual warfare and, and just, I mean, it was eight or nine hours of class time um, every day and some weekends too. Um, but just learning about God and then having confidence in that. And it, it was really cool how God showed up because every sermon at a church who wasn't affiliated with Mercy Ships at all, he went for four weeks straight on confidence in the character of God. Mm. Um, and so in me, it really, I wasn't expecting all that much. I was expecting to kind of get through it and have some fun and meet some people. Um, but God just really showed up and showing me um, that confidence that I had years ago. Um, and this is all still, I, I don't sleep much the last few <laughs> days because <laughs> I'm thinking a lot. But um, Sleep is highly overrated, yeah, so yeah, it's all I'm good. thinking that. <laughs> I'm learning that. Um, but God is just, just showing me, and other people have spoken to my life, too, about confidence um, and confidence going into this mission um, that I need to be bold and be courageous, um, which are things that I think I lost along the way um, over the course of years ago, but um, just just learning that, and one thing that um, God really showed me on the way home, just to, and I was praying for relationships and that type of stuff, and I really met some really um, good girls that I'll be, I'll be with on the ship long term, and um, one of the pastors at one point said, um, or the pastor at that point had talked about how he reads Psalms out loud to himself every day, and the importance of hearing the words, because so often you read over those types of things. And so I was just on the plane. Um, and if you know me, I was crying. And that's not a surprise. Mm. Um, <laughs> a lot. And the people probably thought I was a weirdo. But um, God is just really moving. You could always just blame it on you don't sleep enough or something. <laughs> that might help. It was bad. This mm. is especially bad for me. But <laughs> um, I just flipped open my Bible and just, um, of course, I'm glad I journal because I wasn't expecting to have to use this tonight. But I'm glad I have it. Um, Psalm 139, and it just says, You hem me in behind and before me. You have laid your hand upon me. And then verse 9 and 10 said, If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And that to me was just so, um, you know, cool of God to just show me that um, and just built more on that confidence and going forward that his right hand is on me. I'm in the center of his will. And, and it just was real affirmation since I've been home just in talking with people that I was with and that type of stuff, it's just been really cool to um, to be wrapping it up and, and trying to think about it a little bit. Yeah. Um, if you didn't catch, um, uh, Susanna is part of the medical field. She is a nurse, and um, uh, the Mercy Ships. Uh, she is going to be working, uh, providing medical care for people who otherwise uh, would not ever have a chance uh, of having someone come alongside and uh, meet uh, their medical needs. And it's not just a medical trip, uh, but also Mercy Ships, I uh, hope you can gather from the name, is uh, they are being, uh, it's a ministry, a community about uh, mercy. And not just physically, but spiritually. And so uh, one of the things that uh, she will have the opportunity, she's physically caring for people, is to spiritually just love people, encourage people, and uh, literally be hands and feet uh, of Jesus. Uh, one of the things that I just love about um, uh, what Susanna's doing is um, she's not playing it safe. And uh, when someone is called of God to do something, they have a choice. They can say, you know what, I'm, I'd rather play it safe. I'd rather just kind of do the easy thing and uh, kind of just 
live life on cruise control and uh, not experience too much turbulence along the way. Uh, or there are people who can say, you know what, if God's called me to this, I, I can't miss it. I don't want to miss the opportunity uh, that God is inviting me to step into. And what I love about what Susanna's doing is she's saying, I'm not going to play it safe. I'm going to live on my life on a boat in Africa for the next year. And um, so as you do that, I just want to encourage uh, you that um, uh, God's going to bless you like crazy. And uh, he's going to provide for you and take care of you. And uh, I can't even imagine what all your needs are going to be. But as you're being faithful and obedient and honoring him, uh, he's going to just honor you. And so uh, for us as a community, um, how can we specifically pray into this next year for you? We're going to pray for you that nothing weird happens and you don't pick up any crazy diseases. Um, That's a given. Uh, Mom and Dad, we will be praying for that. Um, But is there anything else that uh, we as a community can covenant to pray for you uh, over the next year? Um, I wrote that down this morning in my journal, too. It's almost like we prepared (laughs) what we were going to talk about before. Um, (laughs) Right now, I'm not feeling any anxiety. Um, I don't feel overwhelmed. I'm not scared. and, and that's obviously God. Um, and I, I just, from reading people's blogs that are already on the ship and everything, Africa, Benin, Africa, is actually the birthplace of voodoo. And, and they're saying somewhere over 95% of the population is um, voodoo, that that's, that's the declared religion of the country. Um, there's a real darkness that I think comes with that. Um, and, and people feel almost like a phys- physical heaviness. And... Um, I think in this line of work, having done a few short-term missions trips before, it's really easy to get task-oriented and and to go in. And actually, the sermon this morning was talking about finding that balance between being in God's Word and and doing the tasks and and serving God, but you can also get caught up in the good works of serving God. And and for me, I can see where that would be a fine line. And um, a big part of it is just, um, you know, drawing from God, it's, it's... being part of a community living and, and wanting to embrace that and foster relationships. But um, I'm really concerned about about just just being set in God. And, and um, actually, I have one more scripture. I was reading, I was talking to a friend the other we night. We like scripture who, here, so you can share scripture. <laughs> I was talking to a friend the other night. Um, we were talking about reading these scriptures out loud to ourselves and how it's just really hammering things in. Mm-hmm. And this one is one that I'm starting to pray for myself. And um, it's Isaiah 41, 9 through 10. I took you from the ends of the earth, from the farthest corners. I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. And just just to meditate on that, just to just be wrapped up in that, um, just to to not fear because because it's, I can say I'm not afraid now, but it's, it's lurking. It's it's lurking right there, um, and without God, then I'm sure I'll be sucked up in a tornado of fear. Mm. So. <laughs> um, I'm going to invite you, uh, us as a community, to, uh, as God would lay uh, Suzanne on your heart, uh, especially in the next two weeks as she's uh, making final uh, preparation to go, uh, to pray for her, and uh, you're going to hear me talking about her uh, over the next uh, few months, giving updates as to what she's doing, and uh, and things like that, but I just want to ask us as a community to uh, 
commit to pray and pray uh, for God's hand of favor and blessing. I'm going to pray for Suzanne now, and if uh, there's some folks that are part of her life group, even folks in her family that are here tonight that would come up real quick, I'm going to pray and just invite you guys to uh, pray along with me. Uh, So start moving up now would be great. Suzanne, you can come down here. As uh, I pray, certainly be uh, praying uh, in agreement with me as I pray God's uh, blessing on her. But uh, be offering prayers up uh, as well. God can hear more than one prayer at uh, one time. So uh, let's just, as a community, uh, cover um, uh, Susanna. She's been called of God, she's been obedient, and she's responding. So Father, to that end, I give thanks that uh, your hand uh, was heavy upon uh, Suzanne, that you have called her, and God, in uh, faith and in obedience, Uh, She is responding to your call. God, I thank you that um, you have made clear, uh, God, where you would have her go, where you would have her serve. And Father, I pray that uh, you would certainly protect uh, her as she steps into uh, foreign land. Uh, God, so please uh, physically uh, protect her from uh, any attack, any harm, uh, any illness. Uh, God, I pray spiritually, as uh, she has just mentioned, uh, at the heart of this country is darkness and voodoo and evil. Uh, So, Father, I pray that uh, the light that is within uh, Suzanne would shine and shine bright. And uh, so, Father, please uh, spiritually uh, protect uh, Suzanne in the days and weeks and months and this year to come. God, I pray that uh, you would provide uh, everything that Suzanne and her team needs. God, I pray that, uh, as she has mentioned, that uh, her heart and her mind, uh, her eyes would be so fixed on Jesus, that uh, this year would be an incredible year of just spiritual growth. God, I pray that as she she is stepping in faith, trusting you, God, that uh, this would be uh, one year of journaling where it is a never-ending of Thank you, God, for doing this. Thank you, God, for providing this. Thank you, God, for showing yourself here. God, I pray that uh, you would use uh, Suzanne's hands to bring healing. I pray, God, that you would use her heart uh, to bring Jesus uh, to people um, in, the part of the, uh, in part of Africa where she is. Uh, God, that people would know Jesus uh, because they see Jesus in Suzanne Zickel. God, we love this woman, and we give thanks that you have raised her up. I pray, God, that you would burden our hearts as a community uh, to continue uh, supporting her, loving her, encouraging her, and praying for her. We give you thanks for this woman, God. We give you thanks. Your hand of favor, your hand of blessing upon her. We pray that in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Suzanne. Take that back over there. That would be great, Mike. I didn't know who to give that to. Suzanne, thank you. I'm so uh, encouraged, uh, inspired, motivated by uh, you and what God's doing in your life. And uh, as I think about what Suzanne's doing, I think about what God is doing with us as a community. And uh, I know we've been talking about this church plant for a long time, 
Uh, but the point in, is coming where we will have to make a decision. Will we play it safe? Will we play it safe? Or will we be a people, a community that will say, uh, God, if you want to use us, if you want to use us to do something new, something different, something radical um, in this Boston, greater Boston area, uh, then I don't want to miss it. And I don't want anyone here to miss it. And I certainly don't want to play it safe. It's just a waste of life just to go through life playing it safe. So uh, I pray for the same things we were praying for for uh, Suzanne Zickel, that we as a community would have courage uh, in the days to come. We are uh, walking through uh, the Gospel of Mark in a series called Jesus, a very creative title of a series called Jesus. And uh, tonight, the thing that uh, I'm kind of changing things up uh, on myself and consequently you, uh, I was going to walk through a few different stories uh, tonight, um, but I feel compelled uh, not to share... Um, a lot of stories, but to share one story. Uh, so I'm going to do this in uh, two parts. Uh, so tonight is part one. Next week will be part two. Um, and really, as I've been sitting with uh, the Lord this week, one question that has been uh, gnawing at me, um, that uh, Morpheus uh, splinter Neo in your brain type of thing, uh, is this question of um, does God care? It would be very easy for us just to look at the world around us and the chaos and the mess and um, just the abuse and the, I mean, just open the newspaper, you know, uh, and you would be left with this question of, does God care? And tonight, I just, I want you to sit with that question. I, I'm not speaking of, does God care about just humanity and the planet Earth in general? But I want you to wrestle with this question of, does God care about me? I really just want you to, before you jump to, well, yes, he's God, he has to. Uh, I just want you to just let that sit for a minute. Does God really care about you? Does he really care about who you are, where you are, what's going on in your life? What's happened in your life currently? What's going to be happening in your life? Are we talking about Jesus? Are we talking about a God who actually cares about you? We often create scenarios of, in our heads or in our hearts of, well, if God really did care about me, then he would do this. He would do A, B, C, X, Y, Z. He would, if God really cared about me, He'd uh, provide me a spouse. If God really, he'd at least maybe give me a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I mean, if God really cared about me, he would do this for me. Or if God really cared, he would take, wipe this mountain of debt off my, my plate. Or if God really cared, he'd give me a job, at least one that's meaningful, one that I actually enjoy, one that I could share my gifts, my talents, my strengths. If God really cared, then I would have freedom from my addictions or my pains, whether they be physical pains, emotional pains, spiritual pains, relational pains. If God really cared, he would set me free. He would release me from all of these things. Or sometimes we wonder if God really cared, where was he when this happened? And you can fill in the blank of this. When my father did this to me, when I went through people who really struggle with this the most, abuse victims, especially children who have been physically, 
emotionally, sexually abused? What do you do when an 18-year-old girl, a 25-year-old woman comes to you and says, if God really cared, where on earth was he when I was five, when I was 10, and I was relentlessly being abused? This is a really big question. Do you really believe that God cares? And because we have scenarios in our head of, well, because he didn't do this and he didn't do this and he wasn't there for me then, our conclusion then, of course, is no, of course he doesn't care. And then what happens is, if that's what we believe, if I have the understanding or belief that God doesn't care, I'm left with, why should I? If he is indifferent towards me, then I will be indifferent towards him. So again, you're going to hear me repeat this question, so uh, get used to it. It's a big one. Do you honestly believe that God cares? By the way, this is not just a question for tonight. This is a question that our culture is really wrestling with now. In a world filled with just terrorism and hate and um, genocide, I mean, just go through the list. We are living in a world right now that is, this is the question. Does God really care? Think about not only you, but how would the people around you in your world and places you live, the places you play, the places you work, how would they answer that question? If you go to work tomorrow, if you go to school tomorrow and say, hey, can I just ask you a question? Do you believe that God cares about you? How would they answer that question? So as you process this a little bit, rather than thinking about how to answer this with a yes or a no with words, examine your life just Take a, a, a quick look through your life and say, does the way I actually live my life communicate a core conviction that God cares? It's easy to say yes or no. But the way you live your life, if people to look at you, how you spend your time, the decisions, the choices, the conversations, the relationships, the things you do, would people be able to say, that is an individual, that's a man, that is a woman who at their core believes that God cares for them. How would you know? Well, a key word we're going to look at tonight in a story um, is transformation. Because people who are living transformed and continually transformed lives are people at their core who have come to this conviction that my God cares. And it shows up in that I am a person who is being continually transformed. Not to look like how I used to be, but to look like him, meaning Jesus. So I'm going to uh, pray for us as a community again. And um, I really want this not to be heavy that you just get so overwhelmed you can't think or move. I just want it to resonate. I want it to register this question. Because how you answer it really impacts how you will live your life. And not only how you live your life, but the lives of those around you. So God, please, as we uh, open up uh, uh, this story tonight in Mark chapter 5, God, I pray that uh, this would be um, really impressed upon each of our hearts. And God, I can only imagine that there are a few, if not many, 
who have come to a belief that you don't care, that you are actually indifferent towards them, towards where they are, the struggles in their life, the pains in their life. God, I pray for those that tonight there would be a true transfer, a true transformation of conviction that you are a God who cares, that you are not indifferent. So God, only you can do that work. And I pray, God, through uh, your scriptures tonight that is living and is active, it would speak to the heart and soul of every man, of every woman uh, in this room tonight. God, please bring us to a place of just conviction and joy that uh, we have a God who cares. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, uh, open up to uh, Matt or Mark uh, chapter um, 5. And I want you to, as best you can, get um, in story mode, meaning picture yourself there. I'm going to read a lot of text, 20 verses to be exact, because uh, I want you to hear the story. And so as I read, if it's helpful, close your eyes, don't worry about the screen, but just listen. Put yourself on the beach that day. Put yourself on the shore of Galilee when this is unfolding. Imagine what the sights and the sounds and the smells would have been like. Imagine the faces and the reactions of the people that were witnessing this. Be a witness. Be a face in the crowd. This is um, Mark chapter 5, starting at uh, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasene. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been often chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When Jesus saw, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed 
and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away, and he began to tell in the Decapolis, which is another way of saying ten different cities in that area, how much Jesus had done for him. And all of the people were amazed. First impression of hearing that story. I hope you're able to picture this because it's weird. It's crazy. We've got a naked man possessed with a ridiculous amount of demons. Then we've got pigs freaking out, jumping off a cliff. You're not reading about this on most of the blogs you probably visit. This is a weird story. So your first impression, your first response to this story, what is it? As you were listening, were you thinking, that's just crazy. I don't even actually believe in demons and the thought of demons jumping into pigs. What, I don't get it. What's the point? Reaction could just be, this is way too Twilight Zone. This is just too freaky. I don't have a category to think about something like this. Or you can just say, you know what, there's no way I can relate. This is not my experience. But you might not have thought about it like this, but this is the human experience. You have a picture here of a man who was just tormented to his soul. How many of us haven't been there? Tormented to your soul. Did anyone in your first impression of hearing the story just be like, man, I love Jesus. How crazy is it that Jesus go goes to a place that no one else was going to go. He meets this man and does for this man what no one else was able to do. How many heard the story through the, through the lens of the hero and was like, oh my goodness, this is Jesus? I love it. He's not freaked out by a naked, demon-possessed, weird man. He absolutely loves this man, engages this man. Sets this man free. Brings transformation. Did anyone come to that conclusion? I know our first read is like too weird, too freaky. But at the heart of this story, I would love for us, all of us to see, man, if this is Jesus, I want to be around him. If this is who he is, if this is what he does, I like him. Remember, one of the questions that we're asking throughout this series, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, just says very clearly, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. And so if Jesus is really, in fact, truly God's Son, Savior, Messiah, we're asking, what will he be like? What's God's Son going to be like? What's the Messiah going to be like? The Savior. And what I love is the Savior actually saves. I know it's a foreign concept, but the Savior actually acts like one who saves. The Messiah is one who actually redeems. Rather than looking at this individual and saying, too far gone, hopeless. 
He gives this man a brand new life. The Savior does what only the Savior can do and saves him. Jesus, in the first half of the story, if you didn't catch this, this is the first time they're, they're going to a place that uh, Jewish people would not go. And that place was called Gentile country. If you were from a Jewish background, you don't go into uh, the cities and the towns and the villages where there are Gentiles. Because in their minds, they were unclean. If you go there, you will be unclean. And so Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, is taking his brand new ragtag group of followers and saying, we're going to go to the place that no one else will go. See, Jesus was a missionary. Jesus was sent of God to seek and save those that were lost. And he's setting a precedence here of that means going out and reaching to people that you currently don't think are reachable. Now, the scene here is they are fresh off. If you remember, uh, one of the things that Jeremy finished with last week was they had a pretty crazy night uh, on the Sea of Galilee, a storm that they thought they were all going to die. And as soon as the disciples step on the shore here, the Sea of Galilee, uh, the beach, they're greeted by a wild, naked, screaming, demon-possessed man. Now, who is this guy? How did he get like this? Naked, filthy body, covered with scratches, scars, and cuts. I can only imagine his hair was just knotted and matted. I can only imagine the smell on this man was awful. The smell of excrement all over him. The smell of vomit. This is a man who was in really bad shape. His current address, the graveyard. Dead people live in graveyards, not people who are alive. But yet this man, even though he still was living, was living among the dead people. Night and day, it says, he cried out. Interesting, you can cry, you can scream as loud as you want in a graveyard, but you know what? No one's listening. You can scream your heart out, but it will be nothing but silence for this individual. People, did you catch at the beginning of the story? They were trying to chain this guy. But he was freakishly strong, breaking chains. No one could tame him. That's what subdue means. Tame him like an animal, like you would a circus animal. He could not be tamed or subdued. How many times do you think this guy ever wondered, does God care? How many times do you think that question went through his head? Does God care? And his only relief from his inner turmoil was to cut, was to inflict physical pain. Many people think that cutting is a brand new thing. It's not. It's an age-old ancient tradition that even predates first century. Why is this guy cutting? Why does anyone cut for that matter? Self-injure. That's what cutting is. People who literally just inflict pain upon themselves. Some say they do it just to help themselves feel alive. Because they feel so dead inside that when you cut, it's a reminder that, no, I'm still alive. Some people cut because it's a sense of control. Everything else around me is so out of control. If I cut, at least I'll have some sense of control. 
I'd rather deal with the external pain of cutting than deal with the internal pain. It distracts me. Or another reason people cut is they're screaming out for someone to help them. Princess Diana was a cutter. I'm sorry if that blows your picture of a fairy tale image of Princess Diana, but I remember in 1995 a BBC interview with Princess Diana where she came out and said, I cut. I cut my, my, my wrists and my arms and my legs. And the interviewer was asking, why would you do this? And her response was, you have so much pain inside yourself that you try and hurt yourself on the outside because you want help. The list of reasons why people would inflict pain upon themselves is, could be pretty long. The point here is this guy was so in so much pain, both externally and now internally as well. I asked the question, who is this guy? How did he get like this? And the answer is, I honestly have no clue. Mark doesn't give us the details of what this guy was like growing up. He just gives us his current condition, and his current condition is really, really messed up. And Mark is not shy from saying why he's really messed up is because this man is filled, possessed by demons. And if anything, Mark wants to make clear this is what demons do. They destroy. If you want to know what a mission statement of a demon or Satan is, go to John 10, verse 10. It just simply says, uh, to steal and to kill and destroy. That's their aim. That's what they want to do. Now, this is where I know it gets weird. Talking about demons, talking about Satan. What's interesting is we actually, we're good when we talk about demons, or not when we talk about them, when we watch them. I mean, how many more movies with Keanu Reeves are there going to be where it's all about demons? I mean, I know this is like, if you just look at films over the last few decades, how many of the films that we have entertain us have to do with evil spirits, vampires, and demons? And there's this battle between the good and the evil. I mean, how many Hellboys are there going to be? It was so successful, Hellboy somehow came back. How many Friday the 13th are there going to be? How many slasher movies that are all about demons and death and destruction? See, we're okay to entertain ourselves with this junk, but when we talk about it in the Bible, we're like, you mean it's real? Yeah, it's real. There's a spiritual world, a spiritual realm that we cannot see. And one of the things that the Bible makes very clear about uh, in Ephesians is that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the spiritual realm, darkness, evil forces. Does anyone find it odd the night before Jesus is about to encounter a legion of demons that there just happened to be this crazy, crazy storm that almost killed everyone on the boat? Coincidence, right? I mean, it's just by chance that Jesus is going to show up and on his journey to get there to release a man, set him free, there just happens to be this freakish squall that comes up that leaves people thinking we're going to die. 
Has that ever happened to you when you were about to encounter just something significant, spiritually speaking? It was like a divine appointment, a divine moment that you were going to step into. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you experience this form of opposition. It could be something very subtle or it could just be something just blatant of trying to prevent you from stepping into that moment, from stepping into that conversation. I can't tell you how many times I personally was getting ready to meet with someone specifically to talk to them about the gospel or Jesus or being free from certain addictions. And I get a phone call right when I'm supposed to be, oh man, I'm sorry, I can't come. Something came up or I'm I'm sick and I don't know. Crazy excuses. None of it ever shocks me because I understand that there's a spiritual realm that is trying to thwart the purposes of God in people's lives. This is where I don't want you to get freaked out. Okay, I don't need to be in fear of demons or in Satan. Keep in mind, they're just angels. Okay, They're angels who are fallen, who rebelled against God. That's it. And if I know Jesus, that's all I need to know. There's a great verse that uh, myself and the worship team just prayed into. It's 1 John 4, verse 4. He who is in you, meaning Jesus, is greater than he who is in the world. So I don't want anyone here to be freaked out, like, oh my gosh, there's angels and demons. And No, if you know Jesus, then he who is in you is greater than, meaning more stronger, more powerful, has more authority than he who is in, meaning demons and Satan and just the evil spiritual realm. People have asked this question a lot, and so I quickly address it. This guy was possessed, meaning completely filled with demons. Is it possible for someone who is a Christian, meaning someone who has invited Jesus Christ to be their Savior, their Lord, the King of their life, is it possible that this could happen to a Christian, meaning that they could be possessed? No. If you have Jesus taking up residence in you, there is now room for evil spirits, meaning demons, to come and possess you. Possession means this guy was completely empty and void, had nothing. That's why they took up residence. They possessed him. If you have Jesus, there's no room for any other spirit but the spirit of God to be dwelling and living in you. But Christians can be oppressed meaning harassed, meaning that we will face, deal, come against opposition, spiritual attack. And again, the Bible says, if that happens, stand firm. Don't be a wuss. Stand firm. Learn how to fight. How many people just roll over and die and be like, oh, I lost this one again. If you come under spiritual attack, stand firm. It's not like we're clueless how to fight these things. Might it just start with, hey, Jesus, I'm way over my head. Help me out. Can you fight this one for me? So again, I know this is, for some of you, uh, this is weird. I realize that. But I'd rather err on the side of being completely honest, upfront, confrontational to say, the spiritual realm is real and it exists. And Jesus is bigger and better, more powerful than any evil spirit. I I want you to know that. 
If you know Jesus, then that's what you need to know. And it's not the what, it's who you know. Does Jesus care about this man? I can't help but read this story and be like, absolutely. He showed up in a place where no one else would have. He encounters this man, engages this man. And the question is, is Jesus going to have the authority or the power to make a difference in this man? Verse 7, these demons shout at Jesus. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. It's interesting, these demons are crying out for mercy, but yet they've tormented and tortured this guy. By the way, this confession here is not really a confession. They're not like, okay, we love you, Jesus. You're Jesus, son of the most high God. We submit our lives to you. They recognize who they're dealing with. This is not like a confession or a conversion. Jesus responds to these demons with a question. What's your name? And the name that comes out is Legion. Legion is a, a Roman uh, guard or a, um, uh, a first century um, a Roman military unit. Guess how many people were in, if you were in a Roman legion, this military unit? You know how many people made up that unit? Over 6,000 foot soldiers. Okay, so if this name is to imply that this is a legion of demons, we've got 6,000 verse 1. I love the odds. If I'm a betting, gambling man, I'm still going with Jesus. Give me 6,000 of your most evil, horrendous, powerful demons, I'll still put it all on Jesus. Okay, this is not like 1 versus 10, not 1 versus 100. 1 versus 6,000. Who do you think wins? Jesus just says a word, get out, and they get out. That's all he needs. That's how much power and authority the person the man, the God-man, Jesus has. At just a word, they take off. Now it gets even weirder if you're not freaked out yet. These demons are like, well, okay, we've lost. We need someone or something to possess. So don't cast us into the abyss of eternal darkness. We see some pigs over there. They look good. Can we go and dwell among the pigs? The unclean desires to go into the unclean. Okay, we're not talking about like Miss Piggy. We're not talking about Babe or the pig from Charlotte's Web. Okay, we're talking about 2,000 smelly, stinky, fat, taste very good bacon type of pigs. These demons go into these pigs, and the second they enter into the pigs, chaos. They are running around, snorting and sniffing, mass confusion, and then one pig is like, well, I'm... The cliff looks good. Let's go swimming. And all 1,100 or how many ever other pigs there were says, let's follow him. And now there's 2,000 pigs going cliff jumping. Now, the people who are hurting these pigs are probably thinking, I've never seen this happen before. This is not normal. And so they go back to the town from where they came from, and they report. Okay, something freaky is happening down on the beach today. We've lost all 2,000 of our pigs. 
and they were really acting weird before they jumped off the cliff. I'm not sure what happened. And so the townspeople come out to see what has happened. Verse 15 through 17. When they came to Jesus, this is the townspeople, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had, been, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. This is a great picture. Okay, this guy ran up to Jesus screaming, freaking out, a mess. And he comes up now after Jesus releases, sets this man free. Do you you see what's happened here? He's sitting, meaning he's now a man at peace. I love that it says he was dressed or he was clothed. His dignity was restored. Okay, walking around naked was not, it was humiliating. Someone took the shirt off their back, their robe, their tunic, and gave it to this man. Dignity was restored. And I love this. He was in his right mind, meaning he was in control. He was no longer divided 6,000 ways. His mind had been restored, renewed, no longer divided. Unfortunately, the people who see this, rather than having faith, they freak out. And they get filled with fear. And so they ask Jesus to leave. Of all the people that should be leaving, they're asking the wrong guy. Instead of giving Jesus a a key to the city, they're booting him out of their city. This is a great example of people who see but refuse to see. It's a great example of people who hear but refuse to hear. And this is what fear does to people. It blinds you to what God is doing with you, in you, around you. And fear has an amazing ability to deafen your ears to what God is saying. How many people do you know in your life that the very thing that keeps them away from a relationship with God is fear? How many people here tonight, this is the very thing, it's your thing, it's your issue. Man, if I, if I really gave myself to a relationship with Jesus, I am so thoroughly freaked out about what might happen with my life. Fear, it blinds us and it deafens us to the reality and to the work of God in and around us. If Jesus cared so much, if he really cared so much, why did he leave? back half of the story finishes with Jesus leaving. If he really cared so much, why did he leave? Why didn't he say, no, guys, let's work this out. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go resurrect the 2,000 pigs for you. Like, why didn't he try to explain himself? When he was asked, requested to leave, he says, okay. And he gets back on his boat and is getting ready to go. Why does Jesus, not stay. And what I love about this answer is because Jesus had in mind someone else to stay for him. In the absence of Jesus physically being there, Jesus said, 
I will leave an ambassador here for you. I will leave a representative, someone who will represent my name and my work and do it well. Mark 15, the very end of the story, verse 18 and 19. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, he begged to go with him, and Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The only one who requested this, of G- the only person who didn't get the request met was this guy. Jesus said yes to the demons. He said yes to the townspeople, and they said, get out of our town. But this guy said, I just want to be with you. Wherever you go, that's where I'll go. I just want to be with you where you are. And Jesus says, no. He says, no, I have something else in mind, something else in store for you. And I love that this used to be formerly demon-possessed man now becomes the first missionary to the Gentiles. He restores this man. He redeems this man. He gives this man purpose and significance. And he gives this man a mission. He places a call upon his life. And he says two things. Go home and then tell. That's another way of saying go be a storyteller. You have a story. Now go tell your story. There were so many reasons why this guy should not have gone home. Can you think of all the reasons and excuses why this guy should have been like, are you serious? You want me to go to my family? Utterly despised, rejected me, put me in the tombs? You want me to go back to them? You want me to go back to that community that tried to chain me? That tried to tame, subdue me? That's where you want me to go? Jesus said, yeah, actually, that's exactly where I want you to go. And he says, go to your home, to your family, to the place where you once lived. Go there. And then he just says, speak, tell. I love that. Tell them what God has done for you. Speak of God's mercy on you. Tell your story. What would you have done? If this is you, what would you have done? Jesus is leaving. He's not going to see what you're going to do. So what would you do? I can't do that. I don't even like these people. I can't do that. I, I don't know what I would say. I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not ready for something like that. I just, I just got dressed. What would you do? What I love about this guy, verse 20, the end of the story. So the man went. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all, I emphasize all, the people were amazed. He didn't stop at his home. He didn't stop just in his own tribe, his own community. He went to the nine other communities that made up the Decapolis. This is a guy who now was possessed with Jesus and a brand new mission of I have to tell other people the work of God in my life. Do you think he was like bitter about this? Do you think he was like resenting like, oh man, I can't believe this is my plot in life. This is what I have to do. Or do you think there was just such a level of joy 
where his attitude was, I mean, I get to go tell people what God has done for me and has done in my life. For many of us, if not all of us, talking about God on a day-to-day basis, I'm going to guess, is pretty hard. Bringing up God, bringing up the name of Jesus in day-to-day life, day-to-day conversation, I'm going to guess that it just doesn't come natural for everyone, myself included. If you think that I just live 24 hours a day, seven days a week on the streets just with the Jesus sign, I don't. It's probably just as hard for me as it is for you to initiate and just bring up spiritual things. The excuses. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to initiate it or even bring it up. Or I'm just scared to death that people will mock me, make fun of me, reject me. It's Or this one. It's just too personal. This is like my thing. I don't need to share this part of my life. This is like me and Jesus, not me, Jesus, and the world. And we come up with a lot of reasons and excuses where we don't be a voice, where we don't tell what God has done or what God is doing in our lives. Jesus says to go, and Jesus says to tell. I was meeting with a good friend of mine this week, and we were talking about this very thing. And what I love about this end of the story, and we'll finish with this, is it's really pretty easy. How many times a day do you get asked by people you meet, hey, how you doing today? Now, if you think, well, no one ever asks me that, it's probably because you're not asking anyone, so start asking. But how many times do you go through a day where someone just, it might be casual and they might actually care about how you respond, but how many times a day does that question come up, hey, how you doing today, Michael? And I just want to encourage you this week, this is how simple it could be. I'm really good. I'm just, I'm so encouraged about what God's been doing in my life. That's it. Or you could say, you know what? I'm terrible. I'm a mess right now. But you know what? I just have confidence that God is going to fix this or work this out. That's it. This week when someone asks you, how are you doing? Tell them. I'm good. I'm bad. But you know what? I trust God. You know what that's called? That's just called planting seeds. And you know what God will do with that seed? It will sit in that person's mind. It will sit in that person's heart so much so where they're like, I'm sorry, you said what? And they will think about it. And every time they ask you, you can share with them, oh, I've been learning this about God, or God showed me this. This is totally cool. And that will resonate. You know why? Because no one talks about that. God will take what seeds you throw out there about him, and he will begin to plant them deep within people's hearts. It's just tell people what you know. This guy didn't know Jack, okay? Literally, he was on the beach, and now he's, he didn't have to go to, like, school for this. It was simple. Go tell people the mercy that God has had on you. If you don't have anything else to say, then shock people with this. You know what? I was like a really wretched, wicked, sinful, self-centered, prideful person. But you know what? God totally loved me. Changed my life. See what people say to that. You see, we all have a story to tell. And all of our story has a similar beginning, that we were sinful, we were rebellious, 
And at some point in the story of your life, God showed up. God's grace showed up and said, I love you too much for you to continue and brought transformation, ushered transformation into your life. Some of us have this misconception, especially if you've been in the church too long. Well, I was never a prostitute. I was never in a gang. I never shot someone. I never raped someone. I never really did that bad stuff. So I don't really have a story to tell. You do. If you're alive and have breath in your lungs, you have a story to tell. It's that simple. Don't be the joker who goes and tries to create a story just so you can have a really cool testimony. That's stupid. And people will tell you so. If they don't, I will. It's just as simple as this. Speak of what God has done in your life. That's it. Speak as to the mercy that God has had on your life. I go back to the question we started tonight with, does God care? Do you think at the end of his story on the beach that day, what do you think that guy's answer would have been? Do you think he would have been the the bitter, jaded, well, if he did care, he would have showed up earlier? Or do you think he was just so filled with joy at how Jesus had healed him, had released him, had set him free, that he couldn't help but go and to tell. We tell that God cares when we see transformation take place in our life because God loves you too much to leave you in the condition you currently are in. And there is a one-time transformation. When you meet Jesus, you're new, new creation. Sins are forgiven, past, present, future. But there is a day-to-day continual transformation that Jesus is doing in your life because his desire is that you'd look more like him. And the beauty of that is I will never run out of things to say. I don't have to say the same answer every single day. Why? Because God's not done with me and he's not done with you. So when people ask, I can give new information. I have new stories to tell of what God's doing. Tonight, before we would uh, finish and celebrate communion, I'm just going to give you a moment just to be uh, in silence. And I just want you to reflect on that question. Do you believe that God is good? And before you would come up to celebrate uh, communion, I want you to be able to come up with a sense of joy and conviction of, I'm celebrating the work of God in my life. I'm celebrating the mercy that he has shown me. I'm celebrating that tonight, I am one who stands here and says, yes, God is good. Jesus has transformed my life. If you do not know Jesus, invite him into your life tonight. If you've wandered away, if you've strayed away, repent and return home. If you're a person who is literally just riddled with shame and guilt and addictions and pains and hurts, Bring him to Jesus. Jesus, will you transform this? Will you take this, this huge dark hole that lives within my soul, will you transform that? This is the beauty that God is at work in all of our lives. Not just now, but tomorrow and 
the next day, and the next day. He loves you too much. He cares about you too much just to let you be where you are. So just let's sit with the Lord for a minute. God, I just, uh, I believe and trust that um, you have been speaking. And Father, a lot has been uh, talked about and covered tonight, I realize. So God, I pray that if there is just one thing that you want to resonate and really register with people here. God, that you would bring that to mind now and we would sit with that. And that we would respond. as you guys uh, sit with your just eyes closed and just in a posture of prayer still I just feel uh, just compelled that if there is uh, one if not many here tonight that uh, feel tormented of their soul for whatever reason I just want to invite you if you've not made a decision uh, to walk with Jesus to begin a relationship with Jesus Would you just invite him to come in, to take up residence in your heart, in your soul? Whatever the torment's been, whatever the pain has been, if you've not yet made that decision, invite Jesus Christ to come in as your Savior, as your King, as your Lord. And if there is people here tonight, uh, which I can only imagine there are uh, who have a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, and are desperate of just transformation, please bring those to Jesus now. Name what it is and ask Jesus to transform that very thing. As you guys, we would continue in worship. If you have made a confession of faith that Jesus Christ is your King, is your Savior, is your Lord, then I want to invite you to come and take, partake in communion. That when we break the bread, we do so remembering that Jesus gave his life for us. He was a substitute. He paid the penalty for sin, died a very painful death on a cross. And as you would take that bread, remembering Jesus' body broken and dipped it into the juice or the wine, that you would remember that he shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins, forgiveness of my sins. So as you would do that, give thanks to Jesus tonight for his life.
his death, his resurrection. Father God, we give thanks. Lord Jesus, I give thanks to you that you are good. That you are good. And if I ever get confused as to that question, I can just come back to the cross. That you demonstrated your love for each of us when you went to the cross on our behalf. Jesus, thanks for setting that man free. I thank you that his condition was, in humanly speaking, beyond hope, was absolutely helpless. But then you showed up and you made a difference. Jesus, I pray that uh, you would show up in our lives tonight and would make that difference and would bring transformation. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis is a ministry of Hope Christian Church. We invite you to find out more by visiting our website at genesisthejourney.com.